Well, good morning, Union Chapel. You guys doing okay? Well, great. I love it. Well, wow. Uh, well, my name is Christopher Glatzbach. I serve as our uh, 180 pastor, our 7th through 12th grade ministry here, and I'm so excited to be with you this morning as we wrap up our missions and vision uh, series. And I just want to share a little bit, just want to give a plug. I'm going to bookend this message with a plug for Disciple. It's our new servant series starting next week. August 27th, and it'll be a great time. I just want to say thank you so much, all of you who have signed up to be a part of a small group. We had over 50 small groups established in the last few weeks, and so that's a really big deal. Yeah, you can clap for that. But there's still time. If you're not involved in a small group yet, you can get onto our Union Chapel app or the um, the website, and you can sign up to be a part of a group. All of those are uh, on there, and you can find a time that works for you and your family. And I just want to encourage you to get involved. If you need a book, this disciple book, it'll be a really helpful tool as we go through this sermon series. We'll just be following along chapter by chapter. It's $2, and Pastor Greg has been so generous. If you cannot afford $2, just to tell him to put it on his tab, and he'll pick it up at the end of all of this. So you can thank him later. I'm sure that he will uh, love to talk to you about that. Um, well, uh, like I said, I am wrapping up our missions and values message series, No Grow Go. Tonight, t- this morning, we're going to be talking about going. The last two weeks, Pastor Greg talked about knowing and growing, and he reminded us that we best know and experience God through weekly worship together in this community being able to hear the word of God through preaching and messages that happen here on Sunday morning, and then growing. We best grow in a community of believers, just like this small group uh, series that we are about to start. We really believe in that. And so we think that you can grow best in your relationship with Jesus when you're doing that tethered to a community, another people group that is just walking alongside with Jesus. And then today we're going to be talking about going and making Jesus known to others around us. And we believe here at Union Chapel, you best do that and be equipped to do that through serving on a Sunday morning. And so we want to challenge you and equip you to do that. But before you start tuning me out of, oh man, just another sermon series or a sermon on serving, I I just want to challenge you. This is a text that I've been wrestling with. It's found in Ephesians 2. 8 and 9, and it says this, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and it is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. And so I do not want you to walk away feeling shame that you're not doing enough. Actually, the the question that I've been asking and wrestling with as I've been preparing for this message is simply this. What do I have to do? And I'll pose it to you. What do you have to do? And maybe you're a Ball State student, welcome back, by the way, uh, and you're like, man, Christopher, I have to go to class tomorrow, and you start unpacking all the things that you have to do. Maybe you're a parent, or you have people in your life that you are responsible for, so you have to go to work tomorrow. And so all these things start unraveling in your mind of all the things that you have to do. Christopher, if you only knew all the things that I had to do, you would be overwhelmed too. Well, let me just challenge you a little bit with this question And I want you to really ask Jesus this question. Jesus, what do I have to do? What is it in my life that I'm responsible for, and what is it that I have to do? And I believe, and we'll learn about this this morning in John chapter 4, I believe that Jesus asked this question often of his heavenly Father, of God. 
And we have the same access to God as Jesus did in the first century. And so it's our custom here at Union Chapel to stand in honoring the word of God. We're going to be in John chapter 4. So I want you to stand as you are able. We're going to be in John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 4. This is talking about Jesus when it says he, and we'll read it together. Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. There's the thing that he had to do. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. May the Lord inspire us through the hearing and understanding and receiving of his word. You may be seated. John chapter 4 is one of my favorite texts in all of the New Testament, and I love all the things just embedded in the story and this exchange between Jesus and the woman at the well. And maybe you're sitting here this morning, this might be the first time that you're ever hearing this, or you're not a uh, theologian or a first century scholar, and you don't understand or know or comprehend all the things that are going on here. But there's a big dilemma that is happening And I love how this text starts, that Jesus had to go through Samaria. In the first century, Jews and Samaritans, there was a huge cultural war between these two. And Jews felt as they were superior to the Samaritan people, and they would do everything in their power to avoid Samaritan people. They would not even want to walk around them. It was like the first social distancing uh, in the world, okay? They would like try to get six feet away from the Samaritans. When they saw them coming down the road, they would try to go on to the opposite side. They would be inconvenienced to avoid Samaritans. And Samaritans knew this. They felt this. They experienced this. And so here we see Jesus had to go through Samaria. And I believe that he had to do that because he was engaged with the Father. He knew what God was asking him to do. And here's my first point, and we'll walk through some of the excuses that could have been made. But the things that God calls us to do are bigger, are greater than the excuses that we make. Let me put it a different way. Serving isn't about you. It's not about you. And so Jesus could have made a lot of excuses. Hey, God, I know you're asking me to do this, but you know, my people, we don't, we don't go through that part of town. We don't, we don't interact with these people. And I'm presuming that you want me to connect with someone. And then we read on from the text that Jesus was tired. He was exhausted so much so that he had to sit down in the middle of the day. It was noon. The sun was probably right over their head. There was no shade. There was no relief. And he's there. He's tired. He's exhausted. We don't know exactly what was going on before he came to this well, but in John chapter 3, we read that he was staying up all night with a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. You might be familiar with that story in John 3, 16. That's where we get that from. And he was answering this man's questions throughout the night. Well, then we continue that not only was Jesus there at the well, but then somebody approaches him, and it's a Samaritan. Again, they don't associate with one another. But not only is it a Samaritan, but it's a Samaritan woman. 
and Jesus is there alone. And so all these red flags, I'm sure, are starting to pop up. And the reason that I communicate that serving isn't about you is because it's not. God is doing something in all of us to make us uncomfortable. It's what we call the cost of discipleship. Following Jesus often will cost us something. When I first went into vocational ministry, I was a missionary on campus at Ball State University, and I had just started right out of the gate, and I was given an assignment to lead and facilitate a small group of college students. And I remember being with them, and I was a little intimidated. I didn't know much about what I was doing, but I just felt so strongly that God was asking me to challenge them with a very similar question. And the question was, what can you do that no one else can do? And how do we leverage that for the kingdom of God? What can you do that no one else can do, and how can you leverage that for the kingdom of God? And so there was a student that stood up, and she came over to me after we got done equipping some of the leaders. Her name was Lauren. And Lauren was very interesting. She was a sophomore. She played in the marching band, a little socially awkward. Lauren, if you're listening to this or watching this, I love you. You're doing great things now. She's practicing as a lawyer out of Chicago now. Uh, But it was just the truth. You know, that's just who she was. And she said, Christopher, I don't, you know, I'm not equipped. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't even know what God's asking me to do. I don't know if I've ever heard God talk to me. And so I said, Lauren, those are all great questions. Those are all great concerns. Just spend some time this week in silence and just try to receive from the Lord. If you don't know what to do, maybe just open up, read a few Psalms and just ask God to speak to you. So she went away, and later on that week, it was about a Thursday afternoon or so, she said, hey, I I reached out to a friend of mine, and I don't really know how to share the gospel or talk about Jesus much. I don't know as much as you do. Can the three of us get together, and you share the gospel with them? I was like, yeah, you know, I'd love to do that. And so the next morning, Friday morning comes around, and we go to Woodworth, which is just a dorm on campus with a food court attached, and I was sitting down, and I see Lauren and her friend approaching me. And it doesn't make sense to see Lauren with this person. This person was about six foot ten. They were wearing a Ball State Athletics t-shirt. And I was just trying to figure out how they were friends. You know, like how did these two uh, get together to become friends? And they sat down and it was completely silent. And I feel like I'm a pretty sociable person and I'm trying to make small talk and it is just like hitting a brick wall. And I look at this man that she's with And he just does not look well. His countenance is down. He hasn't made eye contact with me the whole time that we've been together. And I just look at him and I say, Trey, are are you doing okay? And he looks up at me for the first time and he just begins to weep. And after he composes himself, he, he shares with me one of the most devastating stories that I've ever heard in my life. And he he communicated that his best friend, he was on the Ball State basketball team, his best friend that was also on the team committed suicide a few days before that. And Trey was the one who found his best friend. And we just wept together. It was so heavy, so hard. But then he looks at me with tears in his eyes, and he says, how could a good God allow something so devastating to happen? It's a good question. I'm sure many of us in this room have asked a similar question. If there's a God who is good, we just sang about it in worship. You're good, you're good, you're good. If God is good, 
Why is my life in shambles? Why are my relationships broken? So over the course of the next few months, Trey and I, we literally got together every single day, mainly just crying together about the loss of a really dear friend. But we also began to read through the Gospel of John together. And Trey, we would read it together just out loud. We would just read through the text. Hey, what do you think that this is saying? And we got to John chapter 8, verse 12. And Jesus is communicating to his disciples, I am the light of the world. Whoever walks with me will never walk in darkness. And there was something that happened in Trey. I can just experience it like it was yesterday. And he looks up at me and he says, this is what I need. I've been walking in darkness what feels like an eternity. How do I experience the light of Jesus? Such a good question. So Trey and I walked through that and he experienced Jesus for the first time. And I love sharing the story with you all. Trey in 2020 ended up winning uh, an award called the Inspiration Award through the NCAA. It was awarded And Trey began to become a light in really dark places. That summer, he went overseas to New Zealand to play as a practice player on the uh, national team. And during halftime, he would share his testimony about being the light of the world, a light in the darkness. And I love sharing that story, and I love sharing that with you because Trey and my friend Lauren, they had a lot of excuses that they could have made. Lauren didn't know this guy. She messaged him on social media. Hey, that's kind of weird, but I really believe that Jesus is asking me to do that. She could have made up a ton of excuses. Trey is really known on campus. Everybody's aware of this tragedy that happened. Somebody else will reach out to him. But she felt like Jesus was asking her to do what only she could do. Trey, now we talk about once a month, is entering into a sixth year of professional basketball overseas He's just signed a contract uh, in a country in Europe. And we were just talking as I shared with him that I was going to be communicating his story. And he said, just let them know that I'm still not perfect and I'm still trying to be light. I said, "I'll, I'll let them know that. And so serving the things that God calls us to do is greater than the excuses that we make. And so what is it that God is calling you to do? I don't know. We're all gifted in different capacities But I love this story as it continues. We'll continue the story in verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? Jesus answered, I'm sure pointing to the well, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And we can sense and feel the urgency in her voice. She is desperate. I love that John makes this conclusion that it was noon. And this woman would have come from Sakar out of her village in the middle of the day, which was very unwise. When you're in the desert and you want to draw water, you go before the sun comes up or after the sun goes down because you do not want to be out in the heat as you're getting gallons of water for you and your family. 
Well, why would this woman do that? Well, it's because she was an outcast in Samaria. She was an outcast in her village of Sakaar. And we'll learn about why that is. But she came at noon where she knew that no one else would be. And Jesus just happens to be there. And she's begging Jesus to give her some relief. She's saying, Jesus, hey, hey, listen, I don't want to keep coming here in the middle of the day. I don't want to keep coming here over and over and over again. I'm tired. I'm weary. I can't do this anymore. So give me the living water that you're talking about. And this leads me to my second point, that every single person in this room, as you walked into the worship center, as you pulled into the parking lot at Union Chapel, as you go throughout your day, every single person, myself included, are longing to be satisfied. It was placed into us that we are all longing to be satisfied by something. I love what the great theologian C.S. Lewis says. He says that all of us have been given a hole in our soul, in our heart, as the shape of Jesus. And we try to fill things in, but nothing will fully satisfy us other than a relationship with God. And so my second point is this, that we will never be satisfied by anything other than God, and serving God is a great place to start. Pastor Greg says this often, that it's through serving, through service to other people and to our community is a a place where we unleash our potential and purpose in our life. We start to discover how God has gifted us through trial and error of serving and reaching out to those who need Jesus. I'm going to share this illustration. I shared this during the 830 service too, and uh, a man came up to me and he said, I love simple illustrations because I'm a simple man. I said, you know, I'm the same way. But serving is like this. I want you to picture yourself as this water jug. And this water jug in serving is like this. When we serve, we pour ourselves out. God tells us to go and serve with our kids' ministry here at Union Chapel. And you're like, ah, I don't know, you know, like, God, is that really you? You know, you kind of go back and forth and you're engaging with him. And so here's the challenge I don't want to give you all is to really spend time with the Lord outside of today to ask him, God, what is it that you want me to do? And my hunch is that God is longing to connect with you, not just to come here and get filled up every Sunday, Sunday to Sunday, but what does it look like when we pivot to Monday to Monday of just sitting at the feet of Jesus and experiencing him and his goodness for ourselves. And so we start connecting with the Lord and we're like, oh God, I don't know if this is you and God is saying, no, this is what I want you to do. Go and serve. And so you pour yourself out again. And you're like, this doesn't make any sense. Like I should be getting drained by this. And I'm all about boundaries, you know? So like have boundaries, set up Sabbath. It's a big thing. It's a top 10 commandment to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. So rest, I'm all for that but I really want you to engage with what God might be doing and asking you to do. My wife and I, Brittany, we serve every other week in four, five, six. And I was joking with Kenzie, I'm gonna say it again. Fourth, fifth, and sixth graders are hard. 
Like you have to hear from Jesus if you're gonna be over there and serving with them, okay? Because you're trying to just contain yourself and contain them and you're trying to take out your aggression during nine square because something that they said to you, it's tough. But Jesus is asking you just to keep getting poured out and we can do this all day, but it doesn't make sense. And why doesn't it make sense? Because God is wanting to satisfy you. He's wanting to fill you up as you are poured out for him. You become a conduit of God's love to those around you. And it doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense because we serve a God of an upside down kingdom, a kingdom that has been flipped on its head and we get to participate in it. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so serving, it's gonna cost you something. It isn't about you. It's probably gonna be painful. It's hard. But Jesus is longing to come alongside you and speak to you and and put wind in your sails. I wanna summarize the next section of this text. So Jesus and this woman are interacting. They're having a beautiful and rich conversation and Jesus looks to the woman and says, hey, I know that this is going well. Go and get your husband. And the woman says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right in saying that you do not have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. And this woman responds to Jesus, okay, you must be a prophet. I understand that you're a prophet. And if you understand these things, then answer me this. You Jewish people say that you can only worship in Jerusalem. Our people, the Samaritan people, say that we can worship on this mountain. Which is it, Jerusalem or this mountain? And Jesus so kindly and warmly says, and this right here, that there's a time and the time is now, it's coming, where we will no longer just worship in Jerusalem or on this mountain or that mountain, but we can worship God wherever we want as long as we worship in spirit and truth. And this is how the woman responds in verse 25. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and and they were surprised. They understood what was going on. They were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? And in verse 28, this is the text that I have just been wrecked by. In verse 28, it says this, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And then they all came out of the town and made their way toward him. Which leads me to my third and final point. When God calls us to go, he will equip us. You might not feel equipped. You might not believe that you're equipped. But God calls us to rest in him, just to sit at his feet and draw from him. And I love that this woman who came to get her physical needs met, she came here with this jar to be filled with water. The thing that she came to do, she left it at the feet of Jesus to do something that Jesus was asking her to do. Go back into your town and do what only you can do. And we continue with the text. The disciples, after she leaves, goes up and approaches Jesus, and they're urging him, Rabbi, eat something, in verse 31. But he said to them, I have food to eat 
that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? And I just love Jesus's correspondence with these people. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. And I just envision him sitting at this well, pointing toward Sakar and saying, open your eyes, look. The harvest is ripe. And I just imagine as they look towards Sakar, there's just a cloud of dust as people are just hightailing it to Jacob's well to come and witness the Messiah, Jesus. They are ripe for harvest, he says. And we'll continue down in verse 39. I just, I love this. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Simple, it's not theologically dense or difficult to understand. The woman, I'm sure, just was doing what she knew what to do. This is my testimony. This is what I've experienced. And she shares it with the people in Sakar. Remember this woman who had to go out in the middle of the day so that there wouldn't be other people, other women who were out there. She couldn't even be around them. But now she goes into Sakar to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Come and see what I've experienced. Just like my friend Lauren, who, who didn't have it all together. She didn't have all the answers, but she said, hey, come and see. And when Trey came and saw me, I said, man, I'm the same way. I don't have all the answers. But let's go and see Jesus. Let's sit at his feet. He told me everything I ever did in verse 40. So when the Samaritans came, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And what a gift that these people gave this woman. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. It's such a beautiful exchange. It's one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. There's no miraculous healing. There's nothing crazy that Jesus does. He is just there. He's present and he's engaging with this person who believes that she has no agency, that she has nothing to offer. And Jesus completely turns this town of Sakar on its head through the faithfulness of this woman doing only what she could do. And so again, I'll ask you this question as I have many times this morning, what is God asking you to do? What is God asking you to do? Where is he asking you to pour yourself out for others? We were with our production team this week. I was at this fabric store getting some stuff for our new stage design, and I was having a conversation with this woman. And she said, man, Christopher, she goes here to Union Chapel. She says, man, Christopher, I love holding babies and just rocking them. I said, that's awesome. I'm glad that you have that gifting because I sure don't. You know, that's very difficult for me. But the point of this is that all of us are uniquely gifted to serve and build up this body. And so I don't know what it looks like for you, but the Lord is going to reveal it to you. And it's probably going to be in your wheelhouse. 
is probably going to be to serve in the ways that Jesus has designed and created you to serve. And let me also sh- share this with you. And this might get me in trouble, but we actually don't need you. <laughs> We've been doing just fine without you, okay? But there's something beautiful about coming together as a community of people and serving. So don't serve out of guilt or shame. Serve because you've really felt like you've heard from the Lord and he's asking you to do what only you can do. And it's beautiful what happens when we start to respond in a call of God on our life. So again, what is God asking you to do? I've been using this as an illustration over the last few weeks and it's been really helpful for me and the more that I've been interacting with the Lord, I just feel like the more God has given to me through this illustration. But I was just thinking through when the Lord asked me to lay my jar down at his feet, just like this woman, the Samaritan woman in our story this morning. And I could think of one time in particular, and I wanted to share that with you. My my junior year of college, many of you guys know this story, at least part of it, but my junior year of college, I was chugging along at Ball State University. I was double majoring in journalism and telecommunications. And right before my junior year, one of my mentors from high school gave me a call. And he said, hey, Christopher, this is Tim Dench. I just want to let you know that I'm going to be retiring soon. And our school board is doing something remarkable. They're actually starting the program that we had in high school at five other schools. So there's going to be a total of six schools in our area that are doing this program. And they need a person to oversee all of this. And I'm about to retire. And as they were presenting this idea to me, who is going to help get this off the ground, I thought of you. And the timing couldn't work out any better because as soon as you graduate, we can hire you and we'll start this program and it'll be great. You know my stuff, we've been together for a long time and I would connect with Tim very regularly and he said, are you in? He told me how much it would pay, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And I said, I'm in. Great, I hang up the phone, I call my parents. Pick up back in the day when you had a house phone, that old, and they pick up at the house and I tell them what, what happened. Hey, Tim just gave me a call. And, uh, and uh, he offered me a job. And my parents were shocked. You know, they thought that I was going to graduate and have to work somewhere and be un- maybe even be unemployed and move back home, all those things. And so th- my dad was ecstatic. You know, he's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that a journalism degree got you a job. It's unbelievable. And I said, yes, you know, this is good. I made my dad happy. And to be honest with you guys, that is what I live to do. I live to make the people around me happy. That was the jar that I was getting filled up. I was getting it filled up by what people thought of me and how they responded, and I wanted to do that. And I wanted to do that well. And I remember just four months after I committed to Tim Dench, my roommate in college ended up giving his life to the Lord. My best friend Shane, who I'd known since middle school, prayed to receive Jesus. And for the first time in my life, I can can say this, I felt like I heard from God. And I just felt like God asked me, would you go into vocational ministry? And I was angry. I remember being so mad and upset with God, like there's no way I'm doing this. My God, my jar is full. My jar is full, I don't need anything else. Like, no, there's no way. And Jesus is saying, yeah, this is what I want for you. This is what I have for you. And so I spent a year, because I couldn't do it, I wasn't strong enough to do it right away. I spent a year wrestling with the Lord, speaking to trusted people in my life. Is this really what God is asking me to do? over and over and over again. And the Lord just met me in so many profound ways. Yep, this is what I have for you. 
And I remember my, in December, right before I was about to graduate in, in my senior year, I, I just felt like God was asking me to give Tim Dench a call. And I was so anxious about it, I picked up the phone, I called Tim, picks up, hey, you would always call me big guy. Hey, big guy, you ready? This is awesome, this is gonna be amazing. You're our guy. And he could tell I wasn't as excited. He says, is everything okay? You're not backing out of this, are you? I said, Tim, he said, is it about the money? We'll give you more money. <laughs> and I said, no, it's, it's not about the money. He said, well, wh- what's going on? What is it? And I knew that Tim wasn't a believer, and, and I knew that this was going to be an awkward conversation. But I said, Tim, I, I just feel like God's calling me into vocational ministry. He said, what is that? <laughs> and I told him, well, I'm going to go work for a church on campus. The first question he asked, how much is it going to pay? And I told him, and he just responded very, I don't even know how to respond to this, but this is just what he said. He said, you are going to be miserable and broke the rest of your life. He was right about one of those things. I'll let you uh, figure out which one he was right about. And I just remember being so devastated by that. And and I said, yeah, you might be right, Tim. I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know how this is going to play out. But I just remember being so defeated by that, and I hung up the phone, and I got back to my parents. I called my parents. They'll understand. I grew up in church, and I called the home phone my dad picks up. I said, hey, Dad, I know that we've been talking about this. We've even been praying about this together, but I feel like the Lord just affirmed my desire to go into vocational ministry. And I just remember him over the phone saying, what, what are you talking about? What about the job that you had? What about moving back home? What about all these things? What about, what about, I said, Dad, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I just feel like this is what God has asked me to do. And, and I just remember being so devastated by that too. And all of a sudden, the things that I thought were filling up my jar just began to pour out. It wasn't fulfilling me anymore because God was doing something different in my life. And so I did. I went into vocational ministry there at that church. And five and a half years goes by, and everything's going well. We're growing, momentum, everything's going well. And I just feel like God tapping me on the shoulder again. My time with the Lord that morning. And I just feel like God's saying, Christopher, it's time to give it up. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Like, everything was going really well. I was getting recognized by our, our church network. I was going down to Florida a couple times a year to, to help with our church planning initiatives and our support raising. Like, everything was going well. I was comfortable. This was my life. This is what I was about. This is what you called me into. And I just felt like God asked me to give it up. So I remember having conversations with Brittany and praying about it, and I felt like God asking me to apply for a job here at Union Chapel in youth ministry. <laughs> I didn't know anything about youth ministry. didn't have any experience. I didn't even know if I liked 7th through 12th graders. I do. I love you all, okay? Um, but, but I just remember... I feel so ill-equipped. I don't know what I'm doing. But the Lord just asked me, do you trust me? And as I was spending time with the Lord, as I was thinking about the bucket that I was having other people fill, I just felt Jesus say, will you let me fill you 
with living water. Because you're getting thirsty as you try to get this filled up. So we were wrestling with the Lord, and I just felt like the Lord say to me, and this is really profound to me, is that he told me that you keep going to other people to get this filled up. For me, that was my thing. I just I wanted the approval of people so desperately, from Tim Dench, from my parents, from people in my church network. And Jesus says, you just have to lay the jar at my feet. And I told him I, I would do that. And then he, he, just as Jesus does, he asked me to take a step further. And he said, it isn't enough to lay the jar at my feet. You have to break it. Because that's the only thing that's going to prevent you from picking it back up. And it was so helpful for me to understand that and to know that. That we are the vessel of Christ, as the Apostle Paul puts it. To be filled up and poured out as a sacrifice. And so what does it look like for you? I don't know what it looks like for you. I can only tell you what it looks like for me. What God has asked me to do. And I try to be faithful in that. And my prayer as I've been engaging with the Lord on y'all's behalf is what does it look like to, to, to just let go of holding on to comfort and normalcy and security, the things that we've always done just because that's what you do, but to really engage with the Lord this week. My prayer is that, man, maybe some of you would hear from Jesus for the first time to do what only you can do. Let us pray. Jesus, we confess in this moment that we need you. Lord, we need you to speak to us, to stir in us, to remind us that you are with us and that you call us to go. Lord, I pray that there would be men and women here in this room, young and old, that would respond to this invitation to go and make you known through serving others in our community, whatever that looks like. I don't know, but Lord, I know that you have equipped and given gifts to each and every one of us uniquely to us. The question that I feel like you've placed on my heart is if you were to live my life, Jesus, how would you live it? It's been so helpful for me. How would you pastor students at 180? Lord, I I just pray that this week people would encounter you in a new and a fresh way through reading the word, through spending time just in silence and solitude with you. And I know that that might be weird or we don't have margin in our life to be able to do that. Lord, I pray that we would make time. Lord, I pray that even if we don't know what we're doing, that you would lead us and guide us as you always do. Lord, we need you and we thank you. We praise you for who you are and what you're doing, the ways in which you're already at work, the ways in which you're already stirring in our hearts and our minds to have deeper affections for you. Jesus, we love you. Jeremy, pray. Amen.